The information contained on this platform represents the opinion of the host and shall not be understood, construed as or a substitute for medical or health advice. Please see a health professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. It's the Black Health 365 podcast, and we are here to make sure you look good on the outside and even better on the inside. After all, looking good, feeling good, and living a healthy lifestyle 365 days of the year should be a daily choice. Here at the Black Health 365 podcast, we will address the healthcare disparities within the Black community with trusted voices and information to empower a healthy lifestyle. Ain't that right, Britt? I'm talking about mind, body, and soul. Hello, 365ers, and welcome to another episode of the Black Health 365 podcast. I am one of your hosts, a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach, Jackie Page, along with... What's good, y'all? It's Britt Daniels, your fit life coach and yogi, um, the co-host of Black Health 365. And as y'all know, it is our mission to be champions of truth and change by providing y'all with personalized healthcare information and resources from trusted healthcare professionals. We hit to empower the Black community to be healthy all year long. Jackie, how you feeling? I'm okay. What's going on in your life? Everything okay? You know yeah, everything is good. Um, I feel like I'm still in that state of everything being Gucci, like nothing is, you know, nothing crazy is happening. Um, there's nothing that I'm like running for. I am still on this goal of trying to uh, gain weight, muscle weight. Let me be very clear, because I, I feel like whenever I say that to people, they're like, you're trying to gain weight? I'm like, I'm trying to gain muscle. Um, but yeah, I'm still on this journey and baby, it is a journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, on my end, um, I recently moved to a new place and I had the, the pleasure of seeing my mother. I rarely see my family. You know, I work three jobs, three, I own three businesses, and sometimes I don't get a chance to experience my family. So it was really great seeing her and just understanding the value and the, the importance of family. Um, you know, it's kind of be a transition to our talk today about autism in the Black community. I grew up in a household of about 50 foster kids coming in and out of my house. Right. I think I we haven't talked about this. Yeah, very dynamic life. Very dynamic life, right? So in between traveling the world as a military brat all over, my family between the age of 19 and 18 did uh, foster care. And so we'll have kids stay with us from two weeks to sometimes six months. And a lot of these kids in the system um, had um, a number of different issues from emotional issues to um, you know, physical issues, to you know, some kids had autism. Um, and in that process of living with so many different type of people over the years, it taught me compassion. And that's actually a, you know, a kind of a transition to our Dharma talk for today. So 365ers, as you know, we like to start these conversations off with Dharma talks, which comes from the Eastern tradition. It's essentially a small sermon to just set the tone for the conversation. And today's Dharma talk, is about embracing different perspectives. The importance of embracing different perspectives is an essential skill in navigating uh, ever-changing world. And as we all know, the world is connected and diverse, and it's important to be able to understand and appreciate different points of view. And this means being able to learn how to understand people's different backgrounds, cultures, and experiences, and being willing to challenge your own assumptions and biases. Embracing different perspectives can help us broaden our own understanding of the world, develop empathy, compassion, and develop uh, creativity and problem-solving skills 
that allows us to hit different angles and find innovative solutions. But it can be challenging because it requires us to step out of our own comfort zones and confront ideas that may be unfamiliar and very uncomfortable. Um, it's, you know, that's, that's a big thing in the black community. Sometimes we got to really step outside of our own selves. And it's important to embrace these different perspectives, right? And so uh, I say all that to say, we're going to talk about autism in the black community today. And there's a lot of stigma around autism. Um, it's a big conversation here. And so I encourage people who are listening today, this may be triggering for some people who have family members that suffer from this, friends they know. Um, but it's it's important to step outside of your own self and say, hey, that person's perspective is, is valid too. Yeah, Brie, mm-hmm. I had no idea that, um, you know, your family did, you said foster care, right? Yes, they um, still do. They still do. Really? Absolutely. Yep, they still do. So my mom had to leave her. She has a actually a baby right now, a five-month-year-old baby. And, you know, the circumstances that people hit the system is, is, is wide-ranging. A lot of them reasons are sad. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know this conversation will um, hit very close to home t- for you, it'll be near and dear to your heart. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a real, real interesting conversation. Um, I don't know a whole lot about autism, so this will be very eye opening for me. Um, one of my uh, coworkers at uh, the radio station, her son is autistic, and that's is about as far as it goes for me. Um, so this will be a very enlightening conversation for me. Um, I am really excited to have Camille Proctor, uh, the founder of the Color Autism Foundation. She's joining us today to talk about autism. Uh, Camille, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, Camille. Thank you so much for um, popping on, um, sitting down and having this conversation with us about autism. Um, as I just said, I really don't know what autism is. I kind of see it and I have a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Very, I guess, surface level um, idea of what it is. Um, And I'm sure a lot of other people have that surface level idea of what autism is, but it really does affect the Black community, I think, a lot more than what we realize. Um, So it's really important that we have this conversation. And then to Britt's point, being able to be compassionate to everybody um, is a big thing that we we need to do. So I think the the first question I want to start off with is, what exactly is autism? So it's a neurological disorder. So it's not a disease. It's a neurological disorder that manifests itself in many ways. So, for example, some people with autism do not um, speak, but they still can communicate. Uh, You have people who are able to do math equations, high-level math equations, but they can't tie their shoe. Um, Yes. You have people like my son who is going to be the next hot mumble rapper because sometimes you can't understand anything he says. (laughs) Mama, but the thing is, is that um, there's things that he can't do. He still can't tie his shoe. He learned how to ride a bike last summer. So, I mean, autism, like I said, manifests itself in so many ways. You have individuals that have higher supports needs. So those would be the people that you would traditionally see um, that are non-speaking um, and just just need a high level of support. And then you have those who lead, who what I like to call 
less areas of support where they're in included in a normal classroom, in a typical classroom, and they may go on to college. And then you have what I like to call the middle of the rotor, which is my son, who can communicate, but he doesn't process well. So a lot of times people with autism can't process what you're saying. It goes in and then there you can see the wheel ticking sometimes. Um, also, autism causes a lot of sensory issues. So someone may not like the touch of cotton, the background noise, fluorescent lights. It's, it's just so many things that it's really hard to narrow it down to one thing other than saying it is a neurological disorder that just manifests itself in many ways, many what they call deficits. But it's something that I would have to say has been around, like you said, um, a long time. And it's just that Black people, the prevalence isn't increasing. The diagnosis is increasing because now we're able to access it. So I'll give you an example. Us as Black people, we all suffer from PTSD. 400, 500 plus years of oppression has called PTSD within all of us, right? And so how does that not manifest itself into mental health, a mental health issue, a autism, a neurological disorder? It's, it's, it's just that simple, you know? I've read some studies about this, how um, trauma can be literally passed on biologically in our DNA. And so that's that's interesting how you put this. And, and also you spoke on the matter of how autism is manifested in so many different types of ways, which leads us to a, a buzzword in the, in the cultural community called the spectrum. Yeah, it's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. It is. It's truly, truly a spectrum. If you met one autistic person, you met that person. You know, and the thing is, is that they could be anybody like Questlove, <laughs> Elon Musk. Bill Gates, you know, and those are all successful people. You know, you have artists like Morgan Harper Nichols. Um, she's an artist, a poet, and a, and a singer. So, I mean, there's so many people that are autistic. And, and the thing about autism in the Black community is we're the last to get diagnosed. And it's the most detrimental to us. You know, and I think one of the reasons why we as Black people struggle with it is because typically, and again, like I said, I don't know a whole bunch about autism, but typically I feel like when I think about autism, it's on the higher end of the spectrum, not on the lower end of the spectrum. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, to your point, like we don't, it, it, it does affect us more because and we, we don't get diagnosed as much as we should because we just like, oh, well, you're just a little different. Like, it's perfectly okay. Like, but it could be autism. Yeah. And, I, and so now, you know, and I'm going to toot my own horn. I think we've been doing this for 14 years and we've been trying to get people into these doctors, early access to care so they can narrow down what it is. And when I started this in 2009, Black children on average were five when they got diagnosed and they would be in kindergarten and that's way too late. They should be diagnosed between 18 months and two years of age because you can get them in the early intervention programs. Another interesting little factoid is that um, a lot of children who get diagnosed through the school systems get diagnosed with oppositional defiance. 
disorder. What is that? Well, this is a uh, family show, so I can't say what I want to say, but you bad as bad as I don't know what. Gotcha. We'll use that in that you're bad, like your your behavior is uncontrollable mm-hmm. because of this disorder. And what ODD is, is a fast track for a black child into the criminal justice system. That means we've given up on you. There's really no therapeutics we can do. You just going to be like this. The sad part is that I've talked to parents about their children being autistic and they'll say to me, no, he has ODD. I said, I, he doesn't like light. He, he's covering his ears. That's one sign of autism, covering your ears, fixating on something, flapping your hands. He's doing all of these things, but you're telling me he's ODD because the people said that. And I, actually, I don't like autism. I don't want him to have a label. I said, but you like the bad label. Mm. You're okay with him being bad. You're okay that he could possibly end up 49172. She said, what's that? I said, it's prison inmate number because you're sending him there by not getting him the help he needs. Just because a person is autistic does not mean they don't have a future. It means you have to pivot how you parent. It means you have to pivot and create ways and avenues for them to learn. And you have to pivot opportunities for those who are adults to give them the opportunity to live, you know, and earn a fair and decent wage. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You're saying some really powerful things here that are also almost triggering for me. Again, I grew up in a home full of foster kids, some who had autism and and knowing some of these reasons why these kids weren't diagnosed by their parents, it speaks to this the culture of getting diagnosed in the black community, the stigmas around being diagnosed. Um, I've had a conversation with someone who didn't want to diagnose their child because once they adapted that identity, they felt like that was going to shape their, their, their view and perception and would justify that perception. And it just felt, they, they felt like it would just, it would just feed into a perception that was limiting and put themselves in a box because of that identity association. Um, and because of that, they weren't able to do the preventative things to help their child that were necessary. Um, so that's a whole conversation in itself, a very, very big philosophical conversation in itself. But you also spoke on how we just, because a kid doesn't fit the cultural s- system of behavior, this person is a criminal. Like they're, they're put on that pathway to be a criminal versus changing the way that we educate this person um, and address this person. It's it's sad. But, it's sad. But Britt, I think a lot of that goes back to the point that Camille made is you talk about what we are so used to, right? So we talk about we're used to our Black brothers and sisters being labeled as bad and being la- labeled as criminals. We're not used to having... McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
the the autism label. So we're okay with being labeled bad because that's what we're unfortunately that's what society says. Yeah. You know what? We're used to we're used to having that. We're used to seeing it. So we're perfectly okay with that. If you hear autism, it's like, wait, nope, mm-mm, uh-uh, that's crazy. It's sad, but you know, it goes back to what Camille says of this is just what we're used to. This is the norm. Honestly, being labeled bad is the norm for us. It's it's a sad reality, but it is. So I can, in some way, shape, or form, kind of understand and see why a parent um, would rather have would rather hear bad than autism because it's something you know. You talk about what you're used to hearing and what you're what you're comfortable with. You're not comfortable with autism. Oh, I'm comfortable with bad. I know how to deal with that, but I don't know how to deal with autism. That's gonna put me in a different comfort zone. Yeah, it's almost like bad can be addressed. Right. This 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 mythos of autism is just like, oh uh, God, my child is gonna be. They're, yeah, and it, they're gonna and, be deemed and and incapacitated yeah. to deal with life. Like, and it goes you know, back to, I feel like a lot of people don't realize that you can still live, you can still thrive, you can still be very successful with autism. And that's not something that is communicated to us as Black people. It's we not, only you know, see the higher end. Yeah, and and not meaning to cut you off, it was really powerful when that brother Questlove said, oh yeah, I'm autistic because I used to fixate on Soul Train records, blah, blah, blah. So it was powerful because for us, we got to pretty everything up. <laughs> you got to pretty it up. Like, and, and, and the reality is you got people getting diagnosed. My A friend of mine, corporate America, corporate 500, um, HR person, 57 years old, got diagnosed with autism. She's 63 now. That's crazy. And so she spent her life thinking she had mental health. I mean, it, there's some comorbidity in autism, like people have mental health issues and stuff like that. But here she was thinking she had all these other issues. I have another friend who they just wrote a New York Times piece on. Same thing. She had a daughter. Her daughter acted just like her. She didn't think anything was wrong with her daughter. Her daughter was autistic and so was she. And so when I hear black people say to me, oh, we ain't got that in our family. Hmm, let me think. Did you have an uncle that lived with your grandmother? Yeah, that was Curtis. And I said, hmm, did he live in the back room or did he live in the basement? Oh, he had a back room. Okay, so, uh, hmm. When your grandmother died, where did he go? Oh, he went to my auntie. And I said, and y'all just hope that he died before your auntie because none of y'all wanted to take him, right? And they're like, quiet. I go, that was your autistic person. We've had that person in every Black family that I know. And anybody that says otherwise is telling a lie because we've all had that uncle or that auntie that needed a little help and had to stay with Big Mama until Big Mama left this earth. And when Big Mama left, they 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 sent that person, wait, who gonna take him? Who gonna take him? <laughs> I don't wanna take him. And that's exactly how, that's the reality, you know? That's just the reality. So it's, it's sad. And especially when you live in underserved communities, it's almost like you're, there's no real, it's hard for me to say, like there's access is a problem. So while we now have people embracing who their children are, and I tell people, listen, if your child's autistic, they're autistic. That's part of their identity. You know, people will say, well, he thrived in spite of, no, he is, is part of his identity because trust and believe there's, um, 
how you say there, there's an enhancement to be able to to smell something <laughs> 500 feet away. Yeah. <laughs> to hear something that's that's far away, which it's like right here. So you know when to turn, pivot, and sw- that that is some useful stuff. So I don't like to say that because the problem with parents is that parents are like, I'm a I'm an autism mom, I'm a warrior, I'm a this, I'm a that. And it's like it's not really about you, boo. Now, that's how, that, sounds, that sounds terrible, but it's not about you. And there's no such thing as a high functioning person. Um, autistic people don't use high functioning really anymore because they find it insulting. And how do I know this? Because I sp- I've learned from them, right? They don't use high functioning because they don't want to separate themselves, number one, from those who were categorized as low functioning. And truth be told, if you ask any autistic person, are you high functioning? They're going to tell you, no. You want to know why? Because the person that's allegedly high functioning has the weight of the world on them, right? If they're a child, they're they're, they're adding up, doing calculus, and the parents are like, ooh, 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 go to AP classes or whatever, you know, accelerated classes. But nobody's working on their social emotional needs, right? So what happens is a kid goes off to college. I get a call in the middle of the night and it's his mother or his dad saying he had a breakdown in college. And that and suicidality is a big thing in the autistic community. So that's why they don't use those labels anymore because they want people to understand that autism is something that you need support through a lifespan. And when I said it manifests itself in different ways, there's comorbidity like anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. So I hate to say it in these terms, but a kid that's in the middle, like my son, in a lot of ways, he's almost better off <laughs> than either side because he's in the middle. I know that sounds crazy, but but imagine being the smartest person in a room, in a classroom, and you don't have not one friend. Not one, because you can't communicate with them. You don't understand them. You don't process. You don't do the same things. And then when you try to be part of the group, you say something that they make fun of. It's hard. It's really hard. And I think we can make it better if we start to, like I said, teach our children better, teach our children how to be empathetic. But we got to teach these grown people how to be empathetic. Cause I mean, hey, when my son was little, I remember when I lived in um, when I lived in Atlanta, I remember being um, in a grocery store, and this older lady, my son was crying. He was screaming, and at the time, I didn't know why he was screaming. I just he was screaming. This old lady said he he needs his butt beat, and I looked at her and I said, "Ma'am, I wouldn't hit an old lady." But when you tell me to strike my child, you've upgraded to old bat and I'll hit an old bat. <laughs> now, at that point, I realized I needed to do something for myself, which was starting. <laughs> but I realized the ignorance in that. Right. Because she was saying he needed to whoop it. Now, when I got a hold of my bearings, I realized that the sound of the grocery store. Bothered him. The lighting in the grocery store bothered him. The only store my son feels comfortable, well, used to feel comfortable in, because all are the same. They like routine and regiments. Yeah. I wanted to know why some people who get COVID-19 get it so bad. 
I found out it may be because they have a high risk factor, such as heart disease, diabetes, being overweight, smoking, and asthma. Even if symptoms feel mild, these factors can increase your risk of COVID-19 turning severe. So if you're at high risk and test positive, there are things you can do, like asking your healthcare provider if an authorized oral treatment is right for you. Learn about an option at treatcovid19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Camille, really quickly, um, because I think I may be a little confused. Um, You know, we talk about the spectrum and there's, you were saying like a middle high and I guess low end of the spectrum. Can you clarify what, I guess, high end of the spectrum, middle of the spectrum, and then low of the spectrum So I'll explain it in the ways that we see it, right? Okay. So you would think uh, um, a person who has lower support needs, right, would be the person that it communicates, the person that's in school, the person that has a career, the person that can do pretty much anything, right? And then you have um, children like my son who communicates, but his preferred language is not English, is Spanish. And so he'll talk to you in, like, you'll think he's, talking gibberish, but he, you just don't understand him. So he has clarity issues. He also doesn't process very well. There could be days where I say, go get your coat and he'll come back with a shoe. Like literally he's only hearing and processing part of, and it's the go get your. And then you have um, individuals who really can't take care of themselves. They can't put their clothes on. They can't bathe. They can't communicate. Um, Some of those individuals are even self-injurious where they may um, harm themselves in different ways, punch walls. So it is really hard. And I know people try to do it, but I don't try to do it because every time I think I know something changes, you know, but to break it down to your guests, I would honestly say that the lower functioning person that people think of or that people think of really is the child that um, has a lot of support needs. That's why I call it higher support because you, you have to support them. But with those children being like that, I think the parents need a lot of support too, because they spend a lot of time perseverating over the fact of what their child can't do. And I think that's a lot of wasted time on a life. You know, we as parents, You decided to be a parent. And when you were like, as a mother, I knew that I was going to have to deal with whatever my son was going to be. Right. So if, if, if my son was born with one arm, we had to make modifications. If he had cancer, I knew I was going to have to go through. So this is just something else as a parent that we have to go through. And, um, that's important for me to say because I don't like for parents to really stress themselves out like that because in the end, your kid sees that. And the funny thing is that for years, um, older autistics, they refer to themselves as self-advocates because they advocate for themselves. People used to be frightened of them. They're like, those people are crazy. They're not. The problem is, is that way back when, like 20 years ago, parents didn't have any resources. They didn't have any hope. So they grew up with parents that were literally treating them as if they were broken. Your children aren't broken. They're different. We're all different. And it's important that every child, no matter who they are, 
or what their condition or disorder is. They all need to know that we love and support them. And I think it's best if it comes from their home because they they get their self-worth from their parents, their home life, right? And you have to encourage these kids to go out there and, you know, do things. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, um, like there was a young man I saw on the news in, in uh, I think, Maryland. I'm going to say Maryland. He created, he couldn't find a job, so he created his own pretzel line. He's autistic. So you have all of these young people that are becoming entrepreneurs because they couldn't find a job. They didn't have their voice and choice because there were barriers. But if we were to go back, like for myself, um, getting my son diagnosed was really hard for me because my son, um, my uncle calls him the green-eyed bandit because because <laughs> he was really light. He had green eyes. He had this you know, ashy blonde curly hair and he would make eye contact with people and he liked people. Like he liked being touched, but no one noticed that he only liked being touched by women. But see, and I would think that was just a normal thing because like, you know, what man doesn't like being touched Correct. by women? But what we were told about autism years ago was that they didn't like being touched. They don't like making eye contact. They don't like doing this. They don't like doing that. So he didn't do any of those things. So I went from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor. And then finally I get to this genetic doctor and I'm talking like for at least nine months because I saw what he was doing. I saw that he was obsessed with the ceiling fan. I saw that he didn't walk at like 12 months and that was a concern of mine. I don't know why, but he didn't walk until he was like 15 months. And then when he did walk, he would take the chairs and push him over to the light switch so he could go flick, 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 flick all day long, as long as you would let him and you would have to pull him away from it. Or he was stacking up stuff. So I'm like, why is he so obsessed with order, right? So um, those are some of the specific signs of autism. Um, hand flapping, tiptoe walking. Like my son would walk on his tiptoes. He walked on his tiptoes uh, for years. They would put braces on his feet. He was still, he would hurt himself so he could come up on his toes. It's, it's, you know, and those are the things that parents should be mindful of. If your child is covering their ears, like in my case, he was covering his ears all the time. I said, he has an ear infection. Maybe he's this, maybe he's that. And I was just in and out of the doctor's office. And so finally, when I went to a genetic doctor, they found out he had 47 chromosomes instead of 46. So he was one over. That's not fragile X. The doctor explained it to me as a gray area. And she said, most of her patients who have 47 are autistic, but she didn't have any research to back it up. It was just her 30 years of you know, being a doctor um, 
And so I went to a developmental pediatrician and he was able to tell me that my son was autistic. But what he didn't tell me is that there were no services for me. What he didn't tell me is that I, there was no support for me. So yes, there was, there was services and places you could go. Insurance didn't cover it. So I had to pay out of pocket about between six and 7,000 a month. I emptied out my 401k, my savings, everything I could because I was fixated on, this This has to be fixed because I can't be doing this. this. This was my attitude because I would be working. I had him in daycare. Every day at 1030, he cried. And I would have to leave my job, go get him, come home, and we would just look at each other. Because so this is the reality of what parents face when they do get a diagnosis. And at the time I was living in Atlanta and, um, you know, I was just like mortified because I go to these support groups with these white women and I'd say, yeah, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen when my son's like 12. Cause you know, black kids, everybody always thinks they're older than they are. So like if he's unable to communicate, and he gets approached by the police and he doesn't understand how to yield, they may hurt him. And they'd be like, no, Officer Frank. I was like, oh, Lord, I can't be here. Yeah, since here. you don't understand. Because you don't understand. And it was just frustrating to me, right? And so we, I, I had to start, I had to do something because, again, no one should be emptying out their bank account. Children and parents should be able to work. I left a six-figure job because I had nobody that would watch my son. And you know, I had that whole nice house, couple of cars, I'd done well for myself. And I went from that to basically being like, hmm, what are we gonna do? Um, You know, and so one of the things we do at The Color of Autism is we try to educate communities. So coming out and having a talk like this with you all, is important because we want people to understand that if you think something is wrong, because parents know, they know, you know, you know, when you have a child that's mute, not talking at all, there may be a problem. But so, and and I heard you say this earlier, you went to doctor after doctor after doctor, and then eventually you got to a genetic doctor. At what point in time was did was that person referred to you? Were you just like, I need to see something nope, different? I kept going because they kept saying, you know, boys are slow. Oh, we think he's just delayed. He'll grow out of it because he makes eye contact. He makes eye contact and he could count. He couldn't say the words, but if you counted, he would with all it count with all of his fingers. So just some of the things that he would do, they were just like, oh, he'll grow. <laughs> He'll grow out of it. And then, you know, you get it from your family. You get it from the doctors. And they just think you're tripping because you want something. They're like, you just want something to be wrong with him, don't you? No, I need to know what it is <laughs> so we can help him. But that's yeah. got to be, you know, as a, as a mother, like that's got to be frustrating to know that there's something wrong. And you go to doctor after doctor after doctor and they keep telling you, oh, well, he'll grow out of it. Oh, it's normal when you know it's not normal. Like how long did it take before you actually decided like, hey, 
I'm going to go to a genetic doctor. I'm going to seek something. Well, different. that was probably somewhere in that nine month period where I was trying to trying to figure to get this diagnosis. But it happens to black people all the time. OK, it happens when women go into birth and it go have babies and they don't get the proper medical care. It happens to us all the time. You know, we don't get the opportunity to be uh, disabled especially with the invisible disability. Let, let's think about it. What happens every time there's a criminal act or a Somebody walks into a people minding their own business, they shoot it up. Two days later, oh, he had autism. There's always an excuse for someone else's behavior. And it's usually something that has a diagnosis. Our diagnosis is he was bad. He came from a single parent household. You know, if that's what we get. And so when you live in a city like Atlanta, right? Let's talk about Atlanta. Now, I'm going to use the middle-class community of Cascade. There are no supports, no services in that community. Which, so, which is crazy to me because Atlanta is a... I just I, To hear you say that is just like... I, I, it's quite... They got to drive north. They got to drive north. Even though I don't live there anymore and now there's more clinics, the clinics still aren't south. You're going to have to drive. No, you're right about that. You're absolutely right. You're going to have to With it being Atlanta, that there was a little more access around the city. But no, you're right. South of the city, you're right. I'm not going to hold you on that. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. I've talked to parents. I'm working. I finished a documentary in February on this very subject where we talked to like six or seven parents. And even practitioners, and they will tell you that access to services is one of the biggest problems in Atlanta. But let's take it a step further and take it out of Atlanta and put it in Detroit because they're kind of similar in this one thing. If you don't have a car, you ain't going nowhere. And if you can't go anywhere, you can't go to therapy, can you now? (laughs) That was my next question. So when you say support services... That, that looks like people who specialize in therapy with autistic traits? So it's, well, a therapist could be a speech and language pathologist to work with a child that doesn't, doesn't speak. Uh, it could be an occupational therapist for a child that has, um, that doesn't have good fine motor skills. Um, it could be an ABA therapist, which is applied behavioral analysis, which works with a combination of speech, behavior, and a little bit of occupational. Um, What we do in my organization is that we have a parent training and we introduce parents to practitioners that look like them. So we do a five-week quarterly training. In this training, they're introduced to all Black facilitators, a Black doctor, Black developmental P, speech and language, whatever it is, they're Black. Why is this important? Because... When you see someone that looks like you, you tend to be a little more honest, right? You tend to be a little more open and you feel a lot more relieved because you know what you're going to say is going to resonate with them. And so we teach parents um, how to advocate for their children, how to ask the right questions, you know, how to say, this is what I need, you know, and we also teach parents how to be data collectors. What's that? Well, okay, what time does your child seem to get agitated? 
And when he or she gets agitated, what do they do? Take note of that. So that way you all can figure out behavior plans for that child to help them de-escalate their behavior. You know what I mean? Like when you see someone having a meltdown, it's not a tantrum. It's something that's dysregulated them. And so if you figure out the root cause of the problem, you can make them comfortable and y'all can move on your merry way. But these weren't things that I knew. These were things that I learned. So when I learned them, I decided other people needed to learn it as well. So one other thing that we do that we just started doing, and I don't know why it took me so long, is we're training daycare workers, daycare, nursery school, all of that. Why is that important? Because let's face it, um, a lot of people are unemployed because they have a child with a disability that no one will watch. So you get a room of childcare providers and you ask them, well, what do you do if a child bites you, likes to bite? Oh, we put them out. What do you do with the child that, that just hits for no reason? We put them out. What about the one that cries? We put them out. So in our training, it runs about five hours. I have a autistic woman that leads the training. She actually designs the New York public school system's autism classrooms. That's her job, her full-time job. So she teaches them that a child that bites or likes to chew stuff is what we call a sensory seeker. You, know, you ever seen that kid? Okay, I hate to tell you this. You know that child that likes to suck his thumb sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. That's that could <laughs> sometimes. But that always is putting stuff in their mouth. That's a sensory seeker. And so how do you combat them? How do you stop them from biting? They literally have this thing called chulery. It's like a little thing you put around your neck and they can put it in their mouth instead of biting themselves or another child. Um, just how to decrease the lighting. So we work on all of that stuff because we don't want these babies to get put out. But we also don't want these parents to be unemployed. Right. Absolutely right. How do you, you know, you talk about daycares, um, but how does this work in like elementary and middle and high school? Because, you know, that okay. is, well, that's where kids spend a lot of their time. Well, so unfortunately, Fortunately, in large metropolitan areas that service us, that would be Black people, the services are very lacking. They're very lacking, and it's unfortunate. Um, and I think it comes from a number of things. I think it comes from the fact that um, the population is Black people, right? And then also, I think that people don't know what to advocate for. They don't know what to ask for. And so we're so used to, I don't want to keep dogging out your school system, but the 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 city school system being poor, that just that's they just accept it. I mean, I've talked to parents in 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 my documentary, I talked to one parent who they basically didn't want to do anything for her child, you know, and, and children by law have an individual education plan which is supposed to be around how they learn. But a lot of schools don't have the capacity to give them the things that are on that IEP. So they don't get what they need. The classroom sizes are supposed to be small for an autistic person. My son has never had more than six people in his classroom. But if I were to go to Detroit right now, it would be all swole. Like it'd be, <laughs> it would be too many kids. 
That was my next question, actually, because we talked a lot about the problems in the system. For someone listening to this, a 365er who has a family member or a loved one that's struggling with autism, from your research and experience, can we talk a little bit more about what is an optimal environment and place to raise someone that's on a spectrum? So, some, some, like you said, a room, a classroom that's of six people. Is it better to have your kid homeschooled? You know. Oh no, because then they don't get any social communication. So it's really kind of tricky, right? Because it's so, so yeah. it's kind of tricky. Because so, I think early on when they're young. As you're doing an assessment of where they are on the spectrum, I think it's good for them to be in a classroom um, with their peers, meaning other autistic people, other autistic children. I want to tell you why, because the curricula for an autistic person is supposed to be curricula for each child, right? You have one teacher and then you have three paraprofessionals in a real autism class. And that's almost one-on-one when you're talking about five to six kids in a class, right? So they're able to learn how they learn. And so what usually happens through that process is that you realize that maybe Patrick, I'm just making up this arbitrary kid named Patrick. Patrick doesn't have any communication problems and Patrick does math real well. He could probably be in, in a mainstream class or what we call inclusion. But Patrick has other issues like sensory things. And you just tell that particular teacher that he goes off to, you need to keep Patrick over here, et cetera, et cetera. Um, optimally, it depends on the individual, right? Because I just told you, kids learn how they learn. But they need to be given that chance um, to learn how they learn. And when you have 30 kids, let me tell you something. Typical children can't really learn with 35, 40 kids in the room. Say that. It's distracting. And so I have a lot of parents that say, I don't want my kid in that autism room. <laughs> and I'm like, but they they can't tell you if somebody hit them. <laughs> Your regular child would be like... <laughs> Ain't nobody gonna notice because there's 40 of them in there. Yeah, and like... Oh, but Miss Camille, I said, you, you, the, your, your baby gonna come home and they gonna have a scar on them and you're going to have to interrogate how many people? Well, not only that, but that child can't communicate. When you're That's in a class saying. of 30 or 40, it is really hard to communicate, you know, what you are and what you're not learning. Because again, like, it's so many people in that classroom. It's frustrating. And so that's one of the reasons why I personally recommend you put your child in that classroom, but, but let me back it up. But again, in underserved communities, that classroom looks a whole lot different than my suburban class, okay? A lot of the kids aren't attended for the way that they should be. And it's just really, you know, unfortunate. They don't they don't get the attention that they need. And they need that nurturing. They need that attention. They need somebody to hone into the fact that they are a mathematical genius. A friend of mine whose daughter is autistic she was sitting up there in um, Montessori school talking about pentagrams, knew every shape, every shape. And they were just like, there's nothing wrong with her. But there was, there was. So, you know, it's, I just wish that, how, what are the solutions? Here's the solutions. We need to start putting pen to paper and we need to pen to paper, like send a real letter. You can send an email too, but send a real letter to our Congress people. 
our local and state governments and in our national governments because we can't keep letting the inner city miss out on everything. Unless you live in New York State or New Jersey or California and you look at the underserved population there, they do have services. But why do they have services? Because, and I'll use New York for an example, it's a melting pot. You know, Harlem is now gentrified. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Their services, Los Angeles, melting pot. <laughs> so they have services because gentrification is going on. It's still an underserved community, but it's gentrified. So there it is. There you have it. So many levels to this. Um, so much of the perception of autism is reflected in our education system that's debunked. Um, the stigmas in the Black community, racism, historical racism, and, and systems of injustice. It's a lot. And it's, it's a lot for a parent to process, which I commend you, Camille, for the organization that you have to educate people. You know, there's so many other questions I have <laughs> on a bigger, even almost anthropological, anthropological level, like how autism is, is perceived in other countries and everything. But I can tell you about that. <laughs> Only because for the past eight years, I facilitated a conference in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every year, late July, early August, I'm on a stage talking to 400 plus people or 30,000 downloads of people watching this conference, trying to get information. And so it's funny when you got parents teaching their kids how to do stuff from a video they saw on YouTube, but they're trying. You know, the thing about places like Nigeria, there is no middle class. You either have money or you don't. So if you have money, your kid can go to the private school, which has autism services. It's very interesting. I just came from a conference last week that um, had people from all over the world there who were autism advocates. And it's interesting how they um, uh, their approaches are so different, but then they don't have a lot of resources. But their communities are able to come together and support these kids. Yeah, that's a very interesting point, uh, Britt, that you make. And then Camille, that you, you know, you say that you've been able to actually do some work on. Because um, I think me personally, it, it just kind of sits right here in the United States. And you don't think about it from a, you know, a, a more broader spectrum as, you know, this affects the entire world, not just, you know, not just Americans in, yeah. in the United States. I just came back from Japan and, you know, it's a whole culture we call otakus there was people who just stay in their rooms all day and don't do anything. And it's just so many autistic traits. It's a whole conversation we have. Might have to do another episode. Um, yeah, great point that you make, Britt. Um, you know, it's just, again, very interesting to see that a lot of the things that we perceived to be just here, things that we deal with here in our backyard aren't really just like our things. It's it's a worldwide thing and something that everybody is dealing with at, at different levels. Um, Camille, 
uh, thank you so much for, you know, just sitting down and talking to us, um, sharing your story, um, sharing what you do. Um, if people want to get more information on the Color of Autism Foundation, how can they do that? Um, they can go to thecolorofautism.org. We're there to help. Um, we refer you out to the services that can support. And so uh, the CDC gov. Those are great resources. Well, the cdc.gov would probably be my first stop. And then also, too, if you need the support within your state, you can go to your state's website and get information on how to get support and how to reach a diagnosis. Camille, thank you so much for sharing that. I don't think in my head, again, I'm learning a lot right now the state would have been a, a place I would have thought to get resources. So thank you so much for sharing that. Definitely appreciate it. Um, 365ers, um, I think this is the perfect time to just kind of reiterate. Um, and we've done this a lot over the last few weeks, Britt. I think we've said this a lot as our um, What's Your 365 is be a champion for your health, be a champion for your family, be a champion for your life and your wellness because nobody else is going to do it but you. I mean, Camille said it herself. She went from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor. I could keep going on on how many doctors that she went to before she actually got a diagnosis for her son. She was a champion for her son's health, right? So, you know, I think that's what I have to say is the what's your 365 today is you got to be a champion for your health, your wellness, and your family because nobody else is going to do it but you. If you know something isn't right, you got to keep going until you get the answer that you need, not the answer that they want to give you, the answer that you need. So, um, yeah, be a champion of your health. 365ers, as always, if you um, have a topic that you want us to cover, if you have something um, that you want us to dive into, hit us up on Instagram at Black Health 365 Again, that's Black Health 365 Slide in those DMs. You can find me. You can slide on my DMs at Love Jackie Page. Britt, where can I find you at? You guys can find me at profitfitness.life on all platforms. Once again, 365ers, it's, it's your responsibility to be an advocate for your health and the loved ones in your life. Peace, namaste, and love. Adios. Black Health 365 is an Urban One and Reach Media production hosted by Jackie Page and Britt Daniels, created by Samuel Tatum and Laura Lopez, executive produced by Brittany Jackson and Kadisha Campbell, editing and production, Jahi Whitehead, sales and corporate sponsorship, Patty Johnson.